Well, God bless you, folks. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm in agreement with what the psalmist said. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I want to encourage you. Uh, we're starting a brand new series, and I want to encourage you to invite somebody to church. Yeah, invite them online that they might receive a word of encouragement. Also, especially on May 31st, it's graduation Sunday. Uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter graduated, and I just want to encourage you on graduation Sunday that even though it's not the usual graduation you've, you are uh, hoping to have, and I, I'm so uh, disappointed for you, but at the same time, I believe that we're going to have a special service that will encourage you with regards to the next level, the next step you'll be taking in life. Let's get to the word. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, verses 7 and 11, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead, and he said to them, as soon as you enter the village ahead, you'll find a donkey's coat tied there that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks, why are you taking it? Tell them the master needs it, and he will send it back to you soon. So they went, and the disciples brought the coat to Jesus and piled their cloaks and prayer shawls on the young donkey. And Jesus rode upon it. Jesus rode through the gates of Jerusalem and rode the donkey up to the temple. I want to speak to you on the subject, a pandemic prayer, part one. And, and this is going to be part one of a five-part series, and I want to direct your attention to a pandemic prayer. But before we get into the word, let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, anoint my lips to speak the word of the Lord. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto us the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of you. Let the eyes of the understanding of our hearts be enlightened so that we would know the hope of your calling. I pray, Lord, that my speech and my preaching will not be with the enticing words of Brian's wisdom, but let there be demonstration, let there be demonstration of spirit and power that our faith will not rest in the wisdom of Brian Green or any other man, but in the power of God, in Jesus' name, amen. And so uh, I want to transition, as you know, we preached a four-part series on Jesus Needs a Donkey, but as we're transitioning into a pandemic prayer, I want to also make uh, I, don't, I don't want this thing to be lopsided that Jesus needs a donkey, Jesus needs a donkey. Without the balance of this, a donkey needs Jesus. A donkey needs Jesus. Uh, you see, James chapter 3, verse 3, talks about um, the fact that uh, James says that we put bridles in the mouth of a horse to steer it any way the horse would be steered. And talking about how this little bit can steer the horse wherever it will. And of course, we've been comparing horses with donkeys. But my point is, is that somebody or something is going to steer all of us. So if you're saying, well, nobody's telling me what to do, we're all driven, we're all steered in a direction by somebody. And so uh, when 
if, if, if we're going to be stared by somebody, if, if somebody is going to eventually ride us or something, we might as well make sure that Jesus is the one who is riding us. Can you give me an amen with the thumbs up? And so I want to say there are three places where Jesus will ride us. There are three places where Jesus will ride us. And I want to encourage you about this. Number one, Jesus will ride us into a place of peace. Number two, Jesus will ride us to his temple, to the temple of God or the house of God. And number three, Jesus will steer us into cities. Again, Jesus will ride us into the place of peace. Jesus will ride us into the place of the temple of God or the house of God. And thirdly, Jesus will ride us into, or steer us into cities. Let's talk about peace. The Bible says that Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, yes, is translated to mean uh, the city of peace. But the actual word Jerusalem, uh, and I'll talk about that later, but let's talk about peace, the, the shalom of God, the peace of God. We need in these pandemic times, in this season of COVID-19, we, we, we need to have the peace of God in our lives. And I praise God that Romans chapter 14, verse 17, uh, Paul says, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Another scripture, John chapter 14, verse 27, love this scripture where Jesus says to his disciples, my peace I leave with you. In other words, there's a difference between the world's peace and God and Jesus' peace. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. I am leaving my peace with you so that your heart will not be troubled, agitated, full of anxiety. Another scripture, John 16, verse 33, Jesus says that, um, that he says, I want you to have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Again, the, one of the main things that Jesus promises us is his peace. There's another scripture in John, not John, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where, where the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives to give us the peace of God. Can you say amen? And, these, and during these uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 uh, virus times where we are agitated, we need the peace of God, the shalom of God, the rest of God, the composure of God, the success of God. We, we, we need the presence of God's peace. Can you say amen? Now, the word Jerusalem, again, is Jerusalem, and so we know the word uh, shalom means peace, but Jeru actually means foundation or thrower. So Jerusalem means the foundation of peace, or Jerusalem means the thrower of peace. Now, what do you mean by the thrower of peace? In other words, when you talk about a person who sows seeds, they throw seeds or they spread seeds. Are you following me? So uh, a person who's from Jerusalem, or a person who lives in Jerusalem is a spreader of peace a spreader of peace. Jesus said uh, to his, uh, if you remember, to his mountain climbers 
in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, the message translation. He says in verse 9, the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, that is the attitudes that should be. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, the peace spreaders. Why? They shall be called the children of God. You'll be known as a child of God based on your peace. We cannot act like the world is acting. Are you with me? We cannot be acting like the world is acting during this coronavirus pandemic. We must be different. There has to be a difference between us who are believers and unbelievers. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. Now, the thing that we also have to keep in mind is that the opposite of peace is confusion. First, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. What's another word that we can use as an adjective to, <laughs> to substitute for confusion is drama. There are some people that you're like, when they come into your sphere of influence, they bring with them confusion or they bring with them drama. There's no drama with Christ. There is peace. Now, I, now, why is it so important that we need to be led into a place of peace? Jesus got on the donkey and he led the donkey into Jerusalem up to the temple. He leads us into a place of peace. Why is that so important? Like many of you, um, or hopefully like many of you, I was disturbed by the death no, the murder of Ahmad Arbery and how, yes, he was hunted down and murdered. And if you, if, you, if you don't know about that, then you need to Google it because every person, not just black, but every person needs to know about what happened to that young man, 25-year-old, just jogging and was gunned down. I want to say this, and I'm going to talk about, uh, talk about this a little later in the sermon. I, I needed the peace of God because uh, there, there was a rage that rose up in me that, 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 that started to become unhealthy. And, and I'm going to talk about that later, but I just want to pause. I want to pause right there and say to you, I needed the peace of God. I needed, I needed the composure, the rest of God uh, in, these, in these pandemic times, but even more importantly, like it was a, it was a here we go again moment. But we'll, we'll keep going on, and I'm going I'm to return to that point. Now, Jesus also, not only did he take the donkey to the place of peace, Jesus also led the donkey to the temple of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 27, verse 4 the Bible says, David says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty that is the originality of the Lord. God always wants to do something different when you come into his house. And it says to inquire in his temple, to inquire in his temple. Oh, yes. Uh, Psalm 73, verses 13 to 17, the the, the worship leader Asaph was upset about why are the, 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 why are the wicked prospering? 
And if we, again, we can look at this whole situation with uh, Ahmad Arbery. Why are the wicked prospering? Why are they getting over? When we see what's going on in Washington. But, he, but the Bible says that Asaph said in his trouble and his frustration, and he says, he says, verily I've kept myself clean and pure and holy in vain. In other words, he's saying it's a waste of time being a believer. It's a waste of time following you, God, because it seems like the wicked are getting over. And then he says these words, but then when I came into the sanctuary, that's when I understood. My goodness. I heard a message live. I got, I was honored to go to New York and hear a message by some of you know a man by the name of uh, Matthew Stevens. Stevenson, I believe it is, Matthew Stevenson III, uh, wonderful preacher, and, he's, and he preached a sermon, I'll never forget, and he called it, called the sermon, The Place of Hard Questions. And what he was saying is that in the house of God, he, he, he talked about the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon, again, Solomon's name is Peace, he came, she came to Solomon and asked her, asked him hard questions, and it was in the presence of Solomon that he she had her hard questions answered. And I'm saying to you that the house of God should be the place of where God answers hard questions. And I like what Pastor Chandler said when he, when he spoke to, at our church on Valentine's Day. And we, we had that night call and fall in love with Jesus. And he said these words, and we have it on our, our Lady Carmen that she spoke last week. She has it on her, her prayer wall, and we call it required to inquire required to inquire. In other words, every day it is a requirement that I bring my inquiries to the Lord. And so David said, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, I come into the house of the Lord to get hard questions answered. I am required. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, um, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, I'm required to inquire of him, and he will direct your paths. Uh, as you, many of you know, my, my father passed away last week, or uh, the week before last, rather. Uh, uh, he he uh, passed away of COVID-19, uh, the COVID-19 virus. And you know, two days ago, we, uh, we buried him. And I want to say this. The Lord told me, number one, and I was very grateful having the Lord speak to me. The Lord said to me that COVID-19 didn't take your dad. I took your dad. You know, it was, it was his time. Praise the Lord. And the, the thing that I want to keep you to keep in mind is that uh, uh, the first picture that I showed you is a picture of my dad at 17 years old. Uh, he was uh, it's his high school picture as he's uh, completing his senior year at Cambridge Ringe in Latin. Uh, not Cambridge Ringe, not Cambridge High in Latin back then. It's now Cambridge Ringe in Latin. And so that picture of, of him is at 17. And then fast forward, the picture that you see uh, him in PT South is him at uh, around 90 years old. And, and so what, what's the point I'm saying? My, my dad has been in PT for uh, over 75 years. Over 75 years he's been in Pentecostal Tabernacle. And the, the, the thing, the point I'm making is the one thing I'm grateful about my dad is that my dad loved the house of God. He, he, 
He loved the house of God. And when he was, when the Lord led him to remodel and, and lead the renovation of Pentecostal Tabernacle and back in around 1987 to 1989, around there, and, and I, I remember that my dad, uh, he played the piano, and I remember my dad said, in his heart of heart, he, he always felt that God's church should have the best. And when we were growing up, there was a, you know, we used to have an upright piano, and, you know, one of those pianos that you kind of see in a saloon and old westerns. Uh, and I remember my dad decided that he wanted the church not to have a nice piano. He wanted the church to have a grand piano. And I remember seeing this amazing piano, and, it, and, and you know, you, you'll see the picture of it, but that piano, believe it or not, this piano is, is over 30 years old. Uh, it is gorgeous. It looked like a piece of furniture. And I remember the music minister of our district, her name was Sister Weeks. Uh, I remember she, she came at, into our church at the dedication, and she saw this gorgeous piano, and she said to my father, you always did like nice things. My father believed that God's house should have the best. And so when you look at me and, and you look at me constantly saying, you know, we want the best for God's house, I got that DNA from my father. That I, See, the book of Haggai, read the book of Haggai, and the whole book of Haggai is based on this. You take care of God's house, he'll take care of your house. God, Jesus, is always going to lead you to his house. Beware of anybody who says, oh, you don't have to go to church anymore. You don't have to gather anymore with believers. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourself. There was such a passion for the house of God that the Bible says that when Daniel could not get to the house of God because he was thousands of miles away in Babylon in confusion, taken captive from Jerusalem, he used to open up his windows three times a day, and face Jerusalem. Because the Bible says, read it for yourself, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 14 to 16. God says, if you're carried away, all you have to do is pray in the direction of God's house, and I'll hear your prayer. Oh, teach your children to love God's house. Teach your children to love God's house. Teach your children to love God's house. Finally, Jesus will not simply lead you to peace. Jesus will not simply lead you as his donkey to the house of God. Jesus will lead you to cities. What do you mean? We need to get in our mind, out of our mind that, no, we need to get into our spirits that Jesus loves cities. God loves cities. God loves cities. Cambridge. It's amazing the number of people who are stunned to find out that they are believers in Cambridge. God loves cities. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, again, in, um, in uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 34, and Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 42, Jesus is weeping over the city of Jerusalem because they rejected him and he knew what was about to happen to them. Jesus, God loves city, cities. As a matter of fact, God loves cities so much that the whole book of Jonah is about one city called Nineveh. And God calls Nineveh the, the most wicked city on the planet at that time. And yet God says, I'm going to give them a second chance by sending you Jonah to give them the word. And read the book of Jonah. It's a short book. 
and, and you'll find that the, how the people repented and God withheld judgment from the city of Jonah, sorry, the city of, of Nineveh simply because he loved it enough to send a prophet to give them a word, to give them another opportunity to repent. Paul says in the book of Romans that God withholds his judgment, not because he's saying what you, not because he's saying your sin is okay. Sometimes God withholds judgment because Paul says in Romans chapter 3, in particular verse 4, he said God withholds judgment. Why? Because out of his goodness of holding judgment, he's trying to lead you to repentance. He's trying to give us opportunity to repent. And we sometimes get it twisted into thinking that, oh, God is cool with this sin. No, he's not. In his grace, in his love, he's like, I'm going to give them one year, two years, 10 years, 20 years to give their lives to me, to, to repent, to stop doing what they're doing because the wages of sin eventually is death. God loves Cambridge. On the map, you see Area 4, that's where PT North is. And then Area 5 is where we are right now, PT South, the Cambridge, uh, Cambridge Port region, uh, area of Cambridge. But God doesn't simply love the port, which is Area 4, or Cambridge Port, which is Area 5. He loves all of Cambridge. He loves all of Cambridge. So here's a question, here's a question. The donkey needs Jesus. Somebody's going to ride you. Something's going to ride you. The question is, who's going to ride you? There's a story, and some of you were mentioned a number of times. There's a story about a man named Balaam. It's probably one of the only stories that is strictly about a donkey. Read it for yourself. It's Numbers chapter 22. It's about a donkey who is being ridden by a prophet named Balaam. And Balaam is riding the donkey into judgment. He's riding the donkey into being destroyed by an angel. But three times the donkey advert, no, is able to uh, avert uh, danger. But Balaam is trying to ride the donkey in his blindness into destruction. And my point is, is Jesus riding you or is Balaam? You may not realize it, but the name Balaam in Hebrew literally means destroyer of the people. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief, the devil, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Who, who, who's riding you? What's riding you? You see, when, as I mentioned before about Ahmad Arbery, it, it triggered some things in me where, as a child, I could have allowed my childhood experiences to ride me into deep hatred and prejudice of white people. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I was just 13 years old, and I remember uh, playing uh, uh, basketball. We used to go to a, a gym and play basketball, and there was a lot of tension, a lot of racial uh, uh, 
for want of a better word, strife and even kind of warfare going on in the Cambridge, Boston, Summer area. And this is back in the mid 70s, early 70s. And I, I remember uh, going to play basketball and because there was some contention and one of the older teenagers who I used to hang out with did something really you know, crazy. And so I remember we're playing basketball and, and, and you know, like back then you, you, you knew people who were like, hey, these are some dudes here who, who I've never seen before. Well, eventually, uh, there was a fight that broke out and they had like sticks and almost like bats, like two by fours. And it was just really a, a frightening moment. Like this is all before my eyes and here I am about 12 years old. And I remember going back and, and, I, and I got saved at 10. And I remember going back to that uh, two nights later to play basketball and, and my parents don't know this and this is probably the first time my mother's even hearing this story. And I remember saying, I remember going into the kitchen, I'm 12 years old. I remember going into the kitchen drawer and grabbing a steak knife and putting it in my pocket and going to play basketball with the idea that if someone messes with me, I may have to stab them. Now, fast forward another two years, no, fast forward one year, now I'm 13 years old, and I remember, uh, remember these kids were teasing me. I, I, I was in the seventh grade in, a, in junior high school I was the only black male in the entire seventh grade, which was probably my guess, if I had a guess, it was probably about 1,000 uh, students, whole probably about 500 seventh graders. I was the only black male in, in, that, in that junior high school grade. And I remember they were teasing me and teasing me and teasing me, and finally some, one of the guys said something racial to me. And I remember chasing him down the hall. Um, and people like wonder what's going on. I grabbed him, I threw him, and I just started wailing on him, just wailing on him. And I got suspended. It was the only time I got suspended. And I remember going home, and I remember my dad asked me, why did you get suspended? And I told him the story. And I think my dad understood what it meant to be called racial slurs, what it meant to be looked upon in a disparaging way as a black man. Because I remember he walked me back up to school and he defended me. My father said, okay, I know you suspended my son, but what did you expect him to do when they called him that? Now fast forward. Again, you need to understand how, how the enemy was trying to use racial hatred to, to ride me for my life. Now fast forward. Uh, now I am, uh, I'm, I'm about to go into high school. I'm in the ninth grade. There's only two black guys in the entire, uh, in our entire freshman class. Uh, and, and it's now, now you got to think, it's during busing. And, and some of you are familiar with busing, but if you ever get a chance, Google a picture of a black man. He is walking through government center. He's in a suit walking through government center. It's during the season of busing, and there's, it's, it's an iconic picture of these white uh, older teenagers. One of them has the American flag. At the end of the flag is a point, and he's using the American flag at trying to stab this black man who was just walking through government center. It is the most, one of the most iconic pictures of racial uh, hatred that you'll ever see. You can Google it. So, so 
You're talking about a teenager that was, I wasn't there, but this was in the news. This was live. I'm, I'm living this. For some of you, it's history. I'm living this. So all this tension is going on, not just in Boston, but in Somerville. And, and I remember, my, I'm a freshman. I'm going to this Catholic school that I, that I didn't even want to go to. And I remember I'm in the restroom with a, with, a, with, a, with a football player, the freshman and the varsity football players practice together. You know how freshman is. You're, you're just trying to get your own bearings. On top of that, there's only like two or three blacks on the team. And I remember the senior, he's from another, he was from another section of Somerville, a, a section that don't particularly like black people. And I remember he looked at me dead in my eye and, and he said to me, no, basically what you looking at? And he called me a black, uh, a black son of a female dog. Let me put it that way. And I remember looking at him and my mind is starting to think, what am I going to do? Okay, he's a senior, he'll probably you know, kick the mess out of me. But in my mind, the first thing I'm thinking about is, I know my boys live within walking distance of this school. And, 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 and because I was, I was a good athlete, so I was the youngest of guys who were like, like I was 13, but I hung up with guys who were like 18 and 19 and 20 because I was a good athlete. And, athleticism is a great equalizer. And I remember, I, re I remember one time when we were in eighth grade and some, some white kids were threatening to beat up me and another black kid on the team. And I remember we went to another part of Summer to play basketball on the basketball team. And I remember, you know, seeing a whole, about 12, uh, 13 uh, of my older black friends. One of them was uh, Lady Commons, older brother, Don Lee. And they all walked in. It was back in the day of Shaft. And they all walked in with these midi coats, coats down the hair. And I remember one of my friends, he literally had um, holstered, he had two like machete knives. And, and, yeah, and you're like, man, Bishop, what kind of child? You need to understand, this was my childhood in Somerville. <laughs> and, and I remember that when they walked in, there was a boldness like, okay, yeah, you gonna mess with me now? And, and so my point is, is that, so all this is, all this is, all this is going on. And, and, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, if I call my boys here, they're gonna be trouble at this Catholic school. And, and I'm not gonna let this, this dude call me what he called me. I don't know what happened, but for some reason, I just let it go. And I think it was at that moment that God set me free from having the possibility of living the rest of my life riding on my back a hatred for white people. And how can I now pastor a church that is multi-ethnic and multiracial if I am carrying a hatred or a slight dislike for white people. So what's riding you? Hatred? Anxiety? Anger? Lust? What, what's riding you? Something is going to ride you unless you allow Jesus to ride you. And I am grateful that my dad, the Bible says that before Jesus 
got on a donkey, they put their cloaks and their prayer shawls. According to Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 to 41, you'll find that um, every Jewish man was required to have scriptures at the end of this tassels. You can read it for yourself. It is believed that the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, that she grabbed the hem. She, she, she grabbed the word that was on Jesus, and that's how she got healed. So the Bible says that before Jesus got on, they put on their prayer shawls. They put the prayer shawl on the donkey, and then Jesus got on. Parents, I believe that I believe the reason why I am where I am right now is because my father covered me with his prayers so that anger and prejudice and rage and all those things that could have affected my life did not have the controlling factor because of the prayers of my father. And I believe, I like what Ian Bounds once said, prayer has the ability to outlast the life of the person who prayed. And I believe that my father's prayer is not only resting on my life and my brother's life, but I believe his prayers are resting also on his grandchildren's life. Vanessa, Jessica, Kevin II, Kevon, and I believe it's going to be on my, no, on his great-grandchildren, his great-great-grandchildren. I really believe. So my, pre- my, my, my question is, Jesus is going to take us to the place of peace. He's always going to lead us to the house of God. He's always going to lead us to love cities. But that, none of that's going to happen unless we cover people cover our children with prayer. I don't care what's going on in this season. There are pandemic prayers. There are prayers that you can say during this season that will keep you, that will cause you to thrive in the midst of a pandemic. And I'm challenging you to invite your friends next week as we go into part two of a pandemic prayer. And I'm going to show you how one prayer changed a person's life and can change your life. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Jesus, I'm asking you to take control of our lives. I'm asking you, Lord. Some of us are struggling with fear and anxiety and anger and frustration and and worry and All sorts of things are riding us and staring us and jerking us. But Lord, you promised the shalom of God, the peace of God, the rest of God. I pray, Father, that if there's anybody here who never asked Jesus to come into their life, I'm asking right now that you, if you never asked Jesus to come into your life, ask him to come into your life right now. Just invite him, say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm way off kilter. And I need you. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of Jesus, whose name really literally means the Lord 
is a rescuer. He will rescue you. So, Father, we honor you for your word. I pray that this word will rest upon people's hearts. I pray that this be a word of comfort. I pray that this be a word of deliverance. I pray that this will be a word that brings calmness and composure to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me close out in prayer. God bless you. And again, I want you to put your hands out as we close out with this final prayer. And as you know, we've been borrowing um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I bless you to think continually on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy of respect and not regret. I bless you to think on whatever is right, whatever is confirmed by God's word. I bless you to think of whatever is pure, that is, whatever is pure because the Bible says, the pure in heart shall see God. I bless you to think of whatever is wholesome, whatever is lovely, whatever brings you the peace and shalom of God. I bless you to think of whatever is able to be admired. I bless you to think of whatever is good, that is of a God report. I bless you to think on whatever is excellent, that is whatever causes you to excel. Bless you to think of whatever is worthy of praise. I bless you to think continually on whatever centers your mind and implants your heart in Christ alone. I bless you with all these things. In Jesus' name, and may everybody say, I receive that blessing. Have a fantastic week.